podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Christ is risen. (laughs) Awesome. Well, this morning, we're going to open our Bibles in just a second. We're going to talk together, and oh, you're going to talk to me now, about the subject of Sabbath. So everything you do from here on out, make sure you do it slowly and restfully (laughs) and graciously, because we're preparing ourselves for a month of Sabbath. So for those of you that are new to the body since last July, we have a church rhythm where which we just started last year, so this will be our second annual Sabbath month. So now it's a tradition. So once well once we get through July, it'll be a tradition. Then it'll be a tradition. So for the month of July, I'm going to hit the practicalities of this up front cuz I I just was marking off a whole bunch of stuff over there just to make sure we we hit the important things, but I want to make sure, knowing that probably a third of you in the room were not a part of our Sabbath month last year, that we explain adequately what's going on, because Dr. Green's not going to be speaking about this next week. So for the month of July, first thing, we will be having services for all four weeks in July. The first service in July will be across the street over there at North Carefree. If you go down South Academy, make a left on North Carefree, there's a park on your left, Village Green or Village 7, Village something park, Village fill-in-the-blank park. That will be where we're having our service on July 7th. And then the following three weeks, we will be having service here as normal, but the service will not look normal. It will be a shortened service. It'll be quote-unquote, stripped down, which that means different things to different people, especially in hindsight of our ministry crew training yesterday. That's not clear communication. So (laughs) that means less people will be on stage, less people will be serving. And the whole idea behind this is not just to give people a break, but it is to give those who are serving, and we have many people that have been serving for seven, eight, nine, ten years, to give them a few weeks' reprieve. And for us, it is a time where we get some reprieve. So I won't be leading worship every week. Pastor Jay will not be preaching every week. Matter of fact, the preaching portion of the service will look radically different. It'll be much shorter. So we're going to come, we're going to sing, we're going to have our prayers, we're going to have a short devo, and then we're going to come to the table. And that's the extent of what our services will be. And it is still a service where we gather as the people of God to worship God. So please come. Don't think, oh, if it's less than two hours, then what's the point? Okay? God can meet you in an instant. And, and it might not be about God meeting you as much as what you need to give to someone else anyways. So I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, all right. It's been a little bit of a, quite a morning. So a little bit of levity is good to get me comfortable up here. Um, I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about church rhythms in general. And if you're here at Family Talk next week, Dr. Green is going to spend a few minutes, it'll be much shorter even than what I'm going to speak now, uh, on the importance of rhythms and keeping time with the church. And part of 
so some of you, if you were raised in traditional evangelical churches, uh, probably practicing a Sabbath is not something that was preached from the pulpit much. And if it were, it probably wasn't preached heavy-handed. Like, we're going to do this. We're going to take this seriously. It, it oftentimes in the evangelical community has been one of the commandments that we think we can get away with breaking. And it's interesting, if you look at Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are given, it's the only commandment that starts with the word. Does anybody, does anybody know what that is? I almost just said it. It starts with the word remember. So it says, so, so he's giving all of the commandments, and then it says, remember to keep the Sabbath holy. And it's almost as if God knew. He knew about America, but that's the thing. <laughs> It's almost as if God knew America might come on the scene and Western civilization would be a thing and we'd be driven. Yeah, the joke is it's obviously not just America. It was Israel throughout the book of Exodus. They were already prone to breaking the Sabbath. So it is something that we're going to try and it's still a new habit for us that we're forming. So we're not legalistic about it, but it's something we want to seek the heart of. What is the heart and the spirit of the Sabbath so that we can try and enter into it faithfully as a church, knowing that also it's a command for us as people. It's not just a command for Antioch to take the month of July a little bit lighter. Of course, that's not in the Bible at all. But that is our attempt at bringing this practice and making this a habit here in the people of God. And one of the things that's important to recognize about rhythms in the church in general is one that when we participate in a season, you may be in a different season of your life. So let's just take Advent, for example. Um, you may not be experiencing a time of joyful anticipation for the second coming of Christ. That may not be a real emotion for you as we approach Advent. And that's okay. What we are hoping for is that as we give ourselves to practices and principles, Advent, Easter, Pentecost, July Sabbath, and all of the other smaller things that we participate with as a church, what we're hoping is that our humanity is shaped so that when we do come across times of experiencing those emotions in our life circumstances, that we know how to participate with them. So when we are experiencing a season of where it seems really difficult, where it season seems like there's loss, where it seems like we're struggling with shame or condemnation, then some of the principles from the season of Lent as we approach Easter, then we know how to give ourselves over to that in a healthy and Christian way. Because there are unhealthy Christian ways to partner with just about every emotion under the sun. And I don't know about you, but I know some people who it seems like they're immune to joy and delight. Some of you are looking at me, okay? <laughs> Shut your eyes right now. And then there are other people that you know that it seems like everything in their life is always going perfectly and they're immune to pain and suffering and everything in between. And what we are after, because we believe that Jesus redeemed the fullness of our humanity, is we're after learning how to participate with the full range of emotions in a Christ-like way. So, so part of what we're doing, entering into the month of Sabbath, there are some of you here where that might be your busiest month of the year. And you're going, 
golly, Antioch, you couldn't have picked a worse time. And I want to encourage you that just like everything else God commands us to in Scripture, we are never able to fully live up to God's laws. But as we attempt to engage and we give ourselves to the process, God meets us where we're at. So I want to encourage you, for those of you who might be going, man, I don't know how I'm going to participate with this at all. For me, Sabbath month means one hour or less on Sundays. It means nothing else different. I want to try at the end of this message here in about 15 minutes to give you some ways to pray and to prepare for Sabbath for you and your family and even for the excess time as that we will have as a church for some of the things that we can do as a community. But first, I want to look at what is the Sabbath because of what I said. Most of us didn't ever really hear healthy messages about what Sabbath is. So number one, Sabbath is, this is going to be a good note-taking message if you're a note-taker, particularly because we're not speaking about it next week and then we're going to jump right into it in the month of July. So I I might be a little all over the place, but I do have a bunch of, I think, good one-liners in here if you're a note-taker. So we'll see. So month Uh, So the month of July for us and Sabbath as a principle is about rest. Sabbath, as we see, and we're going to read here in just a second from Genesis chapter 1, the original Sabbath where God himself took and created the Sabbath. So Sabbath is a month uh, or is a day, typically a day of rest. It is a period of rest that we enter into. But I fear that one of the things we are prone to believing as Americans is that the rest on Sabbath is for us almost like the recharging of rechargeable batteries. That we deplete them, and then we have a Sabbath day where we take the batteries and we put them in the charger. To what ends? So that we can run them down to zero again, and then next Sunday we can plug them back in the charger. And I'm here to say that although it is about rest, it's it's not rest for that intended purpose. It's so that we can learn to do the work of God while delighting and while finding rest, even as we participate with the work of God. And of course, we would love to be able to get the spirit of all the laws without actually following the laws. Like, but could you imagine if the Ten Commandments had looked like something, let's say, be nice, Don't be violent. Respect one another. Like we we know that ultimately those are things that are encompassed in the spirit of the law. But we need real, tactile, hard, pragmatic things to build into our lives so that we get to the place where we can participate with the spirit of the law. So what we see throughout scripture is we see a lot of laws and we see a lot of very practical regimented, seemingly legalistic things that come with the Sabbath, but that is not the spirit of it. That's because we're human beings and we need really practical, really hard lines sometimes so that we can then move to a place of participating with the spirit. So let's turn in our Bibles to the first page, to Genesis chapter one. It might not be the first page, which is why I had to have a bookmark because there's all this preliminary stuff in our Bibles now. You know, they didn't have that long ago. So we're going to go to Genesis 1. We're going to start at verse 26, and then we're just going to read into the first couple of verses of chapter 2 here. This is a story that's probably familiar to all of us. And then God said, so the, the background here is that there have been five days of creation thus far, and God has created everything 
aside from humanity and aside from Sabbath. So we're going to read here verse 26. Then God said to someone, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every seed that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So before we jump into chapter two, let's pause and reflect on what has happened. In the spirit of Sabbath, let's pause and reflect. So God has created, in five days, God created all that is, aside from humanity. And then God says, among the Trinity, and he speaks out, let us create man in our image. And so God does, and he creates them man and female, male and female. And then God blesses them. He then gives them a decree, an assignment. And then he says, it is good. And then... As we're about to see, God institutes and creates a Sabbath. So let's read. I just want us to keep tracking here of the order of things. This is is really important for this passage so that we don't get the wrong idea. So then starting at 2, we're just going to read verses 1 through 3, and then we're done. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So now everything has been created. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And then on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So this is really interesting to think about the fact that God creates man and woman, calls it good, calls us, not it, calls humanity good, gives them a decree, gives them an assignment, blesses them, and then moves them into rest. And the new, the NRSV translation actually says that on the seventh day, God had finished his creation. And then it says, comma, so he created the Sabbath, basically, which it's a little bit more of a literal translation. So it is something we should pay attention to. It's almost as if instead of just resting, that God actually created time and space from within what he had just created and set it aside as holy. It's the only thing in the entire creation story, the entire creation narrative that is deemed to be holy. And holy just means set apart or consecrated for a purpose, for a specific purpose. So God does all this creating and then creates within all of the creation a dedicated time and space for there to be rest for there to be more than rest, but rest nonetheless. So one of the things that's interesting here is that God gives them the decree. They haven't done anything yet. And then they move into rest. Isn't that interesting? It's also interesting that God rests. Like God doesn't get tired. 
Why would God rest? But I think the answer is in the fact that God created them in his own image. And there's so much that goes into the Imago Dei that Pastor Jade and I took an entire class on a seminary level about just trying to, to peel back the curtain and discover what does it mean to be created in the image of God. And I think one of the things that it means is that just as God is a trinity, that there are three in one, which is a really complicated subject for us to wrap our heads around. Yes, that is true. But what we know to be true about God is that from the beginning, God was a community. And that's why the doctrine of the Trinity is so important. That there, that when it says that God said, who I mean, God's yes, God is speaking and proclaiming, but God is also a communal God, and He is speaking within Himself, within the triune, within the Trinity. And what this means that when God brings us into the earth in His own image, is that God is making us communal beings that God is bringing us into that fellowship, that God is bringing us to participate in the fellowship of the Trinity. So I believe that, yes, in addition to just resting on the first day, that what happened on that first day before there was any work being done is that man was communing with God, delighting in the fellowship of being with God before he entered into his assignment. So God calls us to a work, and I think it's really, really important because there were other creation stories that were being told at the time. This is not the only creation story. And the biggest difference between the, the Judeo-Christian, uh, let me get my words straight, the Judeo-Christian creation story and all of the others is that God treats humanity different than all the other small g gods. That all of the other gods treat humanity as slaves. But our God, the living God, treats us as ones he wants to fellowship with, not just put to work. And this probably rubs a lot of us, in, we know it's right, but it still rubs us the wrong way because we're so good at work. <laughs> we're so good at what we do. We're so good at two things, most of us, accumulating and producing. And the way that this story is structured goes against all of that. It pushes back against the fact that we are wired to produce to please the God that created us. And I also think that here in this story is the first proclamation of the gospel. I mean, think about it, that God creates us, blesses us, calls us good, gives us an assignment. But before we move into that assignment, he invites us into communal and communal rest and fellowship with him. Think about the way that the world operates, that the messages we are inundated with are messages of earning for ourselves a place in this world, for earning a place in society, that society labels us according to two things most of the time, our work and our play, right? Our work, the things that we produce, and the play, the things that we accumulate, the things that we have enough resource to bring our own selves into, the things that we create opportunities for ourselves. And I think above all else, one of the things that we, we can get from this story is that God refuses to call us producing machines, that God gives us a command and then brings us into fellowship and brings us into rest with him. Um, so let's move along to, to a, a little bit more of kind of just line by line. What do we learn from the Sabbath? Now that we've unpacked this, that God was at work first 
and then brought people into Sabbath. This is one of the important theological messages for Westerners, for Americans, and also for Christians who are all about mission. And we are a very, very missional house. We believe that God calls, he, he awakens us to things. He equips us and provides people around us to equip us for the tasks at hand. And then he calls us into mission. We believe that wholeheartedly. We believe it so much that it's about to be across all the doors out here. Okay, we are a people of mission. But it's important for us to remember that God's work always precedes anything that we do. That God is always the initiator. And, now this is touchy, and I said this in one of the ASF classes, and I got a lot of kickback, but I still believe it. Okay? That God doesn't need us to get his work done. Right? Like that is one of the core messages of Genesis 1 and 2, is that we serve the God who creates everything out of nothing. How in the world, but we believe like God needs me to do this. If I don't send this email, it won't get done. And there is, there is a healthy realm of responsibility, of course. But I think as Americans, we have to hear that God doesn't need us. He wants us to get his work done. He wants us to partner with him in his work, which is why he designed things the way that he did. He invites us into the work alongside him. So principle number one is that uh, God is always at work first, and then he brings us into work and brings us into Sabbath. God created Sabbath, and God brings us into it. Secondly, Sabbath is the time that we pause to delight in God. We're not going to read it for the sake of time, but Isaiah 58, there is uh, 58, 13, and 14, I believe. He basically says, without quoting it, because they're really long verses. I know it's only two, but they're like six lines each. He basically says that if he's talking to the people of Israel and says, if you keep the Sabbath as it was intended to be kept, then the Lord will bless you and you will then delight in him and you will delight in his work. I think so often those of us who are really wired to be task-oriented, uh, that we lose the delight of our work because we, we forget to stop and reflect on what God has just done. I mean, that is essentially what the creation story is, is that God does all this stuff and then gives a commandment for them to make some meaning of it, right? Command, he commands them to name the animals and to cultivate the earth. But before they can make meaning, they need to be in and among it. They need to get familiar with what it is that God has brought them into. And I think for us, we can call that reflection. I think that Sabbath is a time of reflection. And you may not be a journaler, like, like Pastor Jade is an incredible journaler. My wife is an amazing journaler. I'm not. It's like pulling teeth for me to get lines on the page. But I find this to be true, that every time, and I do mine digitally, that every time I choose to participate in it, I find that I am more in tune with what I'm feeling, with what God is doing in and around me, in my family, in the people that I work with. So I would encourage you, take time for reflection. So what are some other things that Sabbath does to us and around us? Number one, Sabbath forces us to rest from our work and rely on God's work. And this is partly what I was just saying, that we are so tempted to believe that everything rises and falls with our performance. And Sabbath reminds us that 
everything doesn't start with us. As a matter of fact, almost nothing starts with us and almost nothing ends with us. That we are brought into a story and a work that has been going on for long before we ever entered it and it will be going on long after. So, so Sabbath situates us in the story and it forces us to be confronted with the fact that we don't control near as much as we think we do. And it forces us to rely on God. There is this story in Exodus chapter 16 where the children of Israel have just come out of Egypt and God tells them, or they're complaining to God about food and water and all these things. And God's probably out there like, seriously, I just brought you out of slavery. And so they complain and God provides manna. And one of the first things that he says after that is, but on the sixth day, Have them gather a double portion, for there will be no manna on the seventh day. And there's an interesting line in Exodus chapter 16 where it says, some of them went on on the seventh day and they found no manna. Like just to remind us that, (laughs) that even then there were people who were stubborn like me. Even then there were people who didn't do what God told them to do. And it probably only took them one Sabbath to realize, oh, God's serious about this. But it forced them to rely on God quite literally then because there was like food raining down from heaven for six days. And on the sixth day, there's twice as much food. And on the seventh, there's no food. Quite literally, they're forced to rely on God in a way that they had not been before. Number two, Sabbath teaches us to resist busyness and reflect on what God's work is doing around us. Adam and Eve were awakened to a calling in a world that God had created from nothing. But before they did anything, they experienced God in his rest. Sabbath keeping is one of the most counter-cultural practices. You know how I know? Because I want Chick-fil-A on Sunday more than any other day. Right? Come on. And that's real. It is real. But in all seriousness, I believe that part of what, and this is, this is not to get on a, on a soapbox about Hobby Lobby or Chick-fil-A, but I do believe that there is, that there is a countercultural message to the world that the church, yes, businesses, but if anyone, the church is called to be participating with as a testimony and a witness to the world, that as counterintuitive as it is to take a day off from production of any fashion, as counterproductive as that is, we believe that by doing this and by being obedient to the things God has called us to do, that he's going to get the work done with or without us. That's part of what we're saying to the world is that, yes, we are partnering with this all-sufficient, all-loving God, but even then, his work doesn't depend on us. He's so good, he's he's going to work beneath the surface while it seems like we are doing nothing. And that is a testimony and a witness to the world. Number three, Sabbath reframes and resituates our work and re-energizes our play. I've already hit on this a few times, but, but Sabbath and work are interconnected. That Sabbath without work is called what? Laziness. <laughs> it's slothfulness. It's laziness. And it's talked about quite a bit in the Bible. And work without Sabbath is called what? Slavery. Work without Sabbath is essentially 
being, being controlled by the idolatry of production. And that is a form of slavery. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't created for slavery. No human being ever has been created for slavery. And our God has liberated us. So we're going to participate with the Sabbath. And I'm going to move right along here. How do we prepare for Sabbath? Okay. So I got four things. I'm going to breeze through them. Uh, we're going to send out some articles in the newsletter. So I would encourage you, if they go to your spam, un undo that, get them from your spam, and read these articles. Number one, how do we prepare well for Sabbath? Intentionally plan for it. Nobody stumbles into Sabbath, okay? It will not happen if you don't prepare for it. And the story we just talked about, Exodus chapter 16, God was teaching them that. He said, on the sixth day, a double portion of manna will fall from heaven. He's trying to indoctrinate them to understand that in order to participate with Sabbath on the seventh day, you might have to do things a little differently on days one through six. Number two, invite God's wisdom for you and your family. Most of us don't know the ways that we really are tied to our productivity or our play. Most of us are bent one way or the other toward laziness or toward productivity. And we usually are unaware of it. So I would encourage you in the next 10 days or so that we have until we enter into this, pray and say, Lord, lead me to give up the things specifically and enter into the things specifically that need to be addressed in my life and in my family's lives. So number one, intentionally plan for it. Number two, invite God's wisdom for you and your family. Number three, resist production and do things that bring delight. For some of us in the room, a day of quote unquote doing nothing sounds like torture. And I have good news for you. Keeping the Sabbath is not doing nothing. It's pushing back against the need to be productive and pressing into delighting in God and delighting in the people around us, okay? So that takes some work. It's going to take work for us to think about and to cultivate a whole month of things to do. And I realize that none of us are just getting off for the whole month, but we are entering into the spirit of the Sabbath for an entire month. And then the fourth thing is cultivate your relationships, the first Sabbath was with God, the triune God, and man in the cool of the day, having fellowship before there was any work. The Jewish Sabbath was always about community. Sabbath is inherently communal. For those of you who are introverts like myself, it is not a day for you to shut your door and go and read by yourself for 12 hours. That is not what Sabbath is about. And for, for others of you, of course, it will have the opposite effect. You'll want to never be alone and completely just be with everyone. There is a balance there, but Sabbath is inherently communal. It's about being together with those who you love, with God that has placed around you and delighting in one another and delighting with what God is doing in their lives and allowing them to delight with what God is doing in your lives. And I think just on this point, that cultivating relationships, one of the things that is so fascinating about the life of Jesus is that almost every time he is mentioned in the Gospels around Sabbath, you know where he is? He's in the synagogue. There's something like 12 to 15 times between the four Gospels that Jesus is mentioned on the Sabbath, and he's either in the synagogue or he's on his way to the synagogue, cultivating the relationships with one another and with God in worship is an 
It's an incredible part of the gift of Sabbath to us. So four things, intentionally plan for it. Number two, invite God's wisdom for you and your family. Number three, resist production and do things that bring delight. And number four, cultivate your relationships. Uh, Seth, if I could have you come up and, and play, we're gonna move into our time of communion together. So I'd like to also invite the uh, communion attendants to prepare. <clears throat> and I want to read just a couple of verses that are, are somewhat obscure for, a commun- for bringing us into the mindset of communion from the book of Revelation. And I know that we, I blew through this this morning, but I hope that there's enough handholds for you to begin reading and preparing your mind and praying that we can enter into this faithfully together. So we started in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go to Revelation 21, and I'm going to read just a few verses here that hopefully try and connect Sabbath with coming to the table. Revelation chapter 21, I'm going to read the first seven verses. And John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. Keep in mind that first Sabbath, where man was doing nothing but dwelling with God in his good creation. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne then said, Behold, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Note this, To him who is thirsty... I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Church, I want you to hear that our ultimate end is this place. This is the picture of us dwelling with God in Sabbath delight, where God has wiped every tear from our eyes, where the pains of work have been removed and work has been beautified and perfected as it once was as God created everything in perfect work, days one through six. And for all eternity, we will be participating with God in the perfect work that is combined with perfect Sabbath delight and Sabbath rest. And that is the place that we are headed to, and that is the place that this meal causes us to look forward to, the marriage supper of the Lamb when we will be joined with all of our Christian brothers and sisters from throughout history and all of the saints that have gone before us and will come after us, and we will be dwelling with God, delighting in him, delighting in one another, and remembering all of the good things that he has done. So I'd like to invite you to stand. And if you would, as we come forward, come out the left-hand side of your rows, And look these communion attendants in their eyes as they speak to you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take the elements back to your seat and we will receive them together. Come. 
Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.